0: Welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. This week is the second of our field reports from the recent St David's Day conference which took place on the 27th of February. If you didn't listen to the first podcast around this, the conference happens every year around St David's Day. The conference is a collaboration of the Welsh Paediatric Society and the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health with a different theme each year. This year it was Child Health Promotion, with the broad aim to provide updates on the state of child health in the UK, as well as introduce current interventions and strategies in Wales. This episode includes an amazingly enlightening interview with Chris Van Teleken about the influence of the formula industry on medicine and what we can do as professionals to stop this. And, Hannah Davis, one of our nude presenters of Dragon Bites, spreading the Welsh paediatric love with an insight into behind the scenes of this year's PAFTAs. Let's get started.
1: Hi everyone, it's Atom again. So let's just get back into the interview, shall we? First up this week, we have an interview with Dr. Chris Van Tulliken, infectious diseases doctor at UCLH and leading science presenter for the BBC. Stacey and I caught up with him towards the end of the day to discuss the talk he'd given on the influence of the formula industry on health promotion. Chris might be one of the most genuinely lovely people we'd ever met, he even managed to tolerate our amateur approach to interviews, so he, like most of our guests, must have an infinite amount of patience. So um, we're here now with um, Dr. Chris Van Tillican. So he is uh, infectious disease doctor at UCLH and also super famous all over. Everywhere too, and uh, he, you've come in. Uh, you came into the St. David's conference to give us a talk about the influence of the um, pharmaceutical industry on healthcare. And well, the,
2: the infant formula industry, probably yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, hi. It's, f- it's a great pleasure to be here.
1: Oh, brilliant. Um, so, um, y- yeah, could you tell us a bit about you know your t- your findings and your Because it was a, I don't want to get too in depth. to, because your talk's fascinating. And I'd love people to see it firsthand. But, um, yeah, what,
2: what did you find? So, we see it started out while I was making a program called The Doctor Who Gave Up Drugs hmm. about areas of medicine where we suspected there was some overdiagnosis. And I went to a, to a meeting to, ge- to find out about cow's milk protein allergy. And the meeting was sponsored, it was on an NHS trust, but it was sponsored by Danon. And as we investigated, we realized that. In the area of cow's milk allergy, whether or not we're talking about infants who are breastfed or infants who are on formula, every single, every single layer of that uh, area is funded by industry, by the industry that makes the products that we use to treat cow's milk allergy. So whether it's the patient information, the online information, the social media campaigns on, 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 on Facebook... Uh, whether it's the research studies from the lab, whether it's the um, the charities or the uh, or the institutions like the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, thankfully who, who now no longer accept any money. Every single stakeholder was accepting money in in fairly large quantities from industry.
1: It's mad to think that that's that's how. How much the, every element of the aspect of this has been penetrated?
2: So, I think there, there are two things. You, so, so, I did this as an, as an investigation for the yeah. BMJ. And the complicated thing is that saying there are widespread conflicts of interest is less interesting than being able to say these conflicts do harm. Mm. And so, there were a few what we had to do in the investigation was demonstrate the conflicts, uncover them, and then show that they do influence guidelines. Mm. So there is a vast number of of guidelines to manage this condition, which just shouldn't need loads of guidelines. Mm. Um, And Mm. they're all... Either the authors are funded or the guidelines themselves are funded by Mm. industry. And so what we were able to show was that the guidelines do appear to be influenced. They're not giving... Uh, they're not giving the best advice Mm. Um, and particularly I think the area where we suspect there's a lot of harm is where women are exclusively breastfeeding the child Mm. there is this idea that children can be allergic to their mother's breast milk Mm. and I think the evidence for that is uh, the the published evidence is extremely thin there is virtually no robust published data Mm. There are some people I trust who say they've seen it clinically, but what there isn't is enough data to justify this immense public information campaign where women who are exclusively breastfeeding are advised to have severe dietary restrictions to treat common infant symptoms.
1: Mm. And it's a stonking amount of clinical work. I mean, it's probably a daily presentation from a paediatric perspective um, you know, the, the child that's coming in is a query, casemal pro- protein allergy, and then all the amount of money that we probably end up spending on trying to treat something that might not actually be present to begin with, because we're working off guidelines that are perhaps not built, perhaps built on the shakiest of foundations.
2: Well, I, I think the crucial thing about the guidelines is if we look at the most common guideline used in this country, the MAP guideline, the diagnostic criteria are so broad mm-hmm. as to include every single child really hmm. you know loose loose or solid stools you know frequency or constipation uh, crying irritability perianal redness i mean th- these are just virtually near universal in in children hmm. and so these are not guidelines that have been written really with an eye to excluding a diagnosis to um, a diagnosis that that can carry significant harm mm. to mother and to child. If the mother wants to breastfeed and she feels unable to because common symptoms she feels are being caused by an allergy to her milk, mm. that can be really harmful to mother and child.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, just I'm bouncing off something else that you mentioned in your talk, and I think to mention earlier, just in case a lay person is listening into this talk, the pharmaceutical industry has seemed to have, in your from what you were mentioning found a way to blur the boundary between um any any evidence or or criticism of their practices and criticizing the mums for for bottle feeding if perhaps that's an appropriate option for them and by blurring that you can often become a victim of of, well not become a victim but, but but mothers might well take offense to it in a way that it wasn't intended so just in case there are lay people listening to this, it's probably worth... Yeah, I mean, I,
2: I think it's, it's really important for me to be very clear about this. So patient shaming mm. is something that, um, whether it's pill shaming or infant food shaming, mm. uh, this is something we see... Um, the industry is very, very clever at hijacking. Yeah. So when we critique antidepressants, for example, patients who are uh, who feel they get a benefit feel themselves criticised mm. and... It's really hard to find forms of language where we can critique data, we can critique treatments without the patients who feel like they're getting a benefit or feel like they rely on those uh, treatments feel, feeling criticised or shamed themselves. Yeah. And so we, we have to work really hard at that. And I, th- I think particularly in infant feeding... You know, I, I've got a small child. It was a, it was a really a big struggle, even for me as the father, mm. but particularly for, for Dinah and Lyra, for, for them to to engage in breastfeeding was very difficult and challenging for both of them. Mm. And that's a relationship that's very easily exploited. And so, my point would be: I, I don't care how anyone feeds their child. Um, you know, within bounds of safety, the vast majority of parents will do what's best. Mm. And there are there are plenty of economic reasons, biological reasons, social reasons, why it it may be best for some people to use formula. Hmm. What I do feel is that the information that parents and clinicians get and give is not provided by people with a profit incentive um, when it comes to giving that information. So the the information we give needs to be independent from the people who make the money.
1: Yeah, Uh, which is, you know, I I think it's it's a really important thing for us to do. I don't know practically how easy it is to do that. You know, often boundaries do get blurred when...
2: when don't you? So I feel yeah. it's really practically extremely easy. Mm. So people will say, oh, there isn't enough money. Well, you know what, well, as long as you accept money from industry, you're doing two things. First mm. of all, you're generating advertorial. You're not generating research data, really. Mm. Um, and the second thing is you are acting as a reputational laundromat. Mm. So nothing is better for the industry than to be linked to the prestigious professional associations in the UK. And it makes life nightmarishly difficult for low-income countries if institutions like the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health are accepting money from the formula industry in violation of the WHO code that many low-income countries are really trying to follow. So I I think it's very easy, actually, as healthcare professionals. As doctors, we make money. You know what? We can buy our own sandwiches. We Mm -hmm. can give lectures for free. In my institution and in my area generally, we have almost no industry funding for local meetings, education days. It it would be unthinkable to have an infection day Mm. where we have world-class people coming speaking to us, Mm. um, to trainees. It would be impossible to imagine that we would have pharmaceutical or formula funding I mean, just, no, formula. Hey? Yeah, just just say, just it. say no it's really it's really straightforward and when you say no all kinds of good things happen hmm. you know money appears from elsewhere yeah. the medical research council the welcome trust the nhs there are pots of money but as long as but you'll never go looking for that money as long as you're getting it from industry
1: yeah no i, I, I completely agree i should probably clarify what i was saying i would be really difficult. who's
2: paying you <laughs> no no no
1: <laughs> who's funding this podcast <laughs> <laughs> um, it's um, what I was trying to say was um, it's really difficult to find a way to word critique of industry in a way that doesn't seem like a critique of the patients that that was the part that I thought was pretty, I've, I've always struggled to do to do that in a way where patients don't feel victimised when you're saying actually there are valid things that are wrong with some of the treatments or not even necessarily treatments that are out there.
2: I think that's right and I think uh, historically the people who have done so much to push um, anti-industry messaging around breastfeeding mm. have often not found kindness and compassion for mothers. who, who one, of, one of the problems is many women feel that they chose to formula feed, mm. and in fact they were the victim of extremely sophisticated marketing efforts by industry. Mm. So you're not really choosing to formula feed when behind your back, Excuse me. I'm, I should say I'm drinking a small quantity of champagne throughout this podcast, so it's slightly strange. But anyways, I'm being very nicely treated here, so I'm belching. Um, it's all very Operation Ouch. So uh, when, when, when midwives uh, or healthcare staff in hospitals are giving formula without maternal consent, it's little wonder then that women feel they're unable, you know, that the infants have a reduced appetite, the reflexes aren't stimulated, milk supply dries up. Those mothers may feel they have chosen to use formula, whereas in fact Mm -hmm. um, an environment of promoting formula in general has prevented them doing it. And so I think all of us admitting as clinicians and as patients how vulnerable we are to exploitation, we need to, to remove the stigma from that. And with smokers now, I think there's a it's possible to critique um, smoking and smokers understand that they are victims they are not uh, choosing they're not colluding with industry they are the victims of industry and and we also know that once people understand um, how industry, whatever the industry is is manipulating them, it makes it much easier for them to disengage and so I think messages around the the quite well-evidenced harms that the global formula industry has done to women and children around the world over the last several decades i mean these, mm. are, these are this is in the academic literature and in the popular press mm. those messages being shared make it easier for women i think to engage with the idea that they they maybe have more agency over this choice than they think but they have to understand they are being manipulated absolutely i um,
0: i wanted to thank you so much for getting this out there um, like I well, said I'm, earlier, I, I yeah. should
2: say I'm, uh, there are a huge number of people who have tried, who have over many decades got this out there. So, mm. you know, th- th- yeah, my name's on the paper, but there are a lot of contributors.
0: Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, I suppose this has opened my eyes to, uh, like you said, the sophisticated uh, methods that industry go to um, to um, influence medicine. Um, so, what? And on a practical note, as a, as a doctor, um, how can I, um, how can we
2: sort of put a stop to this? Okay, so that, that's a great question. Can I first, the thing I don't think I explained clearly, mm. was when we talk about sophistication, I guess that the thing that if people can't be bothered to come, come to one of my talks, the <laughs> sophisticated thing is organising guidelines to create a fear of breast milk as a potential allergen in order to possibly reduce breastfeeding rates and promote the sales of both expensive formulas and uh, hydrolyzed formulas and normal formulas. And that's the sophisticated kind of Trojan horse aspect. It's rebranding breast milk through the heavy promotion of a very poorly evidenced diagnosis. So that, that for me, is the, is the way they are sophisticated. How do we do it? I mean, I think the close reading of evidence is important, but it's hard. We don't have time. I think supporting our professional institutions to disengage from sponsorship, particularly the BDA, the RCGP, um, the RCPCH has has done it already, particularly with Formula, um, campaigning about journals and getting our microethics right. So uh, anyone listening to this will find that they will be going to, if you're going to an allergy conference, um, there is every likelihood it will be sponsored by the Makers of Infant Formula and I would not go to those... Conferences. I would organise your own local conferences, and if you phone those speakers, they will come and speak to you in your hospital. You know, I I do it about you know in my own area of expertise, and speakers are very happy. You know, cover their rail fare and, and give them a sandwich, and they'll come and do it. You know, we don't need big fees, and I think creating a very gentle culture of shame around accepting money from industry. You know, if you want if you want to make a load of money, take your medical degree and go and work for. Um, you know someone else, but if you're working within the NHS, I I think you have implicitly signed up to the WHO code, and you are, um, if you are uh, collaborating in conflicts of interest with the formula industry, you are, I, I I think you are, you are in violation of of implied codes that you have signed up to.
3: Mm-hmm. That's so Bit of a doubt. I mean, no, 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 I
2: don't want a a pediatrician shame either because, um, you know. uh, I think
0: a lot of it is innocently done without realizing the. 100%. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, and I remember that at medical school. I ate a huge number of sandwiches and I'm certain they were having no influence. Mm -hmm. Most of us think we can go to the Abbott sponsored meeting or Danon sponsored meeting or Glaxo sponsored, and it, it was not going to influence our practice, but we have very robust data to show that it will that's why we've banned pens and pads of paper is because biros or you know ballpoint pens and mugs do influence the way we prescribe
1: it's difficult though isn't it even when the very guidelines that you use are corrupt it's it's a hard it's a hard industry war i we're think working.
0: it's an uphill, it's going to be an uphill struggle but i yeah. think um, we 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 just need to keep progressing with this sort of work and, and covering it really and exposing it and saying no and doing something about it, isn't it.
1: I don't want to take up too much of your time, Chris. You've already no, no. It's it's,
2: it's, a, it's a it's a real pleasure speaking to you, and I'm I'm very happy to get these messages out. And I'm I'm very happy to be wrong about it. You know, I, I think there are a lot of very good people who take money from industry, and I disagree with them doing it. But I'm always happy to have a discussion. I'm not one of them. I should point <laughs> this out from
0: earlier. I know I have no conflicts of interest. That really,
3: I would. Mean, Other than trying to
1: promote my own brand of podcast, <laughs> I've got a conflict of interest there. <laughs> <laughs> right, thank you very much. You some <laughs> <real question.
3: laughs> Cheers.
1: Finally, today we have an interview with Hannah Davis, the pafta Lead for Wales. For those of you unfamiliar with paftas they're the Pediatric Awards for Training Achievements. They held in every deanery across the country, and Hannah was in charge of the Welsh ones. It was the first time Wales hosted such a large PAFTA ceremony, and Hannah was one of the main driving forces behind that, Stacy and I caught up with her about organising the award ceremony. Hannah, by the way, is also going to be joining us on the Dragon Bites team, so look forward to episodes from her in the future. So, um, I'm Asim, and we've got... Stacy, And who are we here with? Hannah. Hannah. Hannah's not only um, one of our new presenters at Dragon Vice, who's going to be joining us soon. Exciting. Exciting. (laughs) But also, you're heading up the PAFTAs this evening. I am.
3: I've had the privilege this year. Yeah, I'm really excited.
1: We're doing something completely different with the PAFTAs this year. Can you tell us a bit about what's happening?
3: Yeah, so we've done it last year in the Wales scenery, but we had the first three nominations for consultant, ST1-3 to and then ST4-8. to This year we've expanded it much further and we've got a total of 10 categories. Yeah. And it takes a much more MD, uh, MDT approach and includes everybody who's involved in paediatrics rather than just the doctors. So I'm excited.
1: That's pretty cool. Uh, and, and there was some, you did something pretty special with the way we selected who the winners were this year as well.
3: Yeah, so I decided that we, uh, you know, it's quite limited sometimes how we get some of the votes in. So what I decided to do is to do a survey monkey and we did an all Wales approach. So we've surveyed all the doctors and made it available to everybody and they've basically nominated their favourite person for each category so it gives us a really good view of and spread of all the amazing positive things that people do all over Wales not just in certain sectors.
1: I did get uh, an email from you and I'm sure sure Stacey must have got an email from you. Yes I did. Even if you you get nominated you get an email. Yeah so I thought it was really
3: important like um, with awards mainly you only hear about things if you actually win it but I thought it was really important to value everybody's little contributions that they make on a day-to-day basis so I decided that any nomination meant that you got a Nominee certificate. So Sorry, I'm just running there behind you. i <laughs> <laughs> you know Yeah, because like... I think, you know, so those little day to day things that get forgotten, but they're actually the biggest things that make a big impact on everybody's day to day functioning on the wards and their overall well being and feeling valued. So I wanted to really emphasize that.
1: I had, like, uh, like, I don't know if this was the same as you, but I had nurses uh, and an EMP come up to me afterwards. And just it blew their mind that they'd had this email out of nowhere.
3: So I've heard a few people say that, and this made me so happy. And it's like really, you know, emphasise why I wanted to get involved and just spread the love basically amongst the Wales Deanery family, and just say you know every contribution counts, and we wouldn't be where we are today without everybody involved.
1: I'm hijacking the entire interview. Sorry, uh, sorry, Oh, it's Stacey. fine.
3: No, sorry. I just think it's wonderful, really. Um, so, uh, how many nominations have you had? About so we had. Eighty nominations in total, which have come back, and everybody nominated for ten categories. And we hope to next year include an MTI award as well, which takes into consideration the doctors that help us who aren't necessarily on the training programme, because hmm. I think they make a vital part of the Wales rotors, and I think it's important they don't get forgotten.
1: That so was tried this year, wasn't it? Yeah, it was attempted,
3: but it, yeah, it didn't come to <laughs> fruition. So we'll make extra special effort next year and get uh, it on the main survey panel. So really excited about progress in the pasters as well. So who's won? I can't tell you, that's <laughs> a surprise <laughs> for this <laughs> evening. Ten different categories hey? there. are ten categories and everybody's going to get stuck up and presented and I'm sure you'll see it all on, well you'll get the update verbally on here and you'll get hopefully the Panopto video as well. So everybody can see how amazing we all are. We oh, just, just can't wait.
1: I think you've done such a fantastic job. I feel like that sounds patronizing, but I genuinely think it's been a fantastic Thanks, thanks job. so
3: much. Well I'd like Jessie. to say she hasn't actually presented <laughs> this. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it could all go very wrong. wrong. wrong yeah. But I'd like to say as well what a massive, amazing achievement you two have gone with this dragon Bites. <laughs> oh god, let's cut this off now. <laughs> no, Sorry. I'm not cutting this off because <laughs> it needs to be said. You know, it's really taken off as being internationally recognised with Don't Forget the Bubbles, etc. <laughs> so I just want to give you two an amazing thumbs up and thank you for raising the profile of Wales Paediatrics. Woo!
1: You know that's going to end up on the editing room floor. <laughs> it better not to. too do. embarrassing.
3: It better not to. <laughs> oh, thanks, Hannah. Thank you very much. And keep up the good work, everybody.
0: <laughs> wow, thank you both so much. Join us next week for interviews with Ashling Beecher, the editor for the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health's Milestone magazine, Dr Matthew Snape, Associate Professor in Paediatrics and Vaccinology, and Dr Jennifer Evans, Consultant Paediatrician with an interest in Infectious Diseases from the University Hospital for Wales.